Happy birthday to you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Tim Dyer. Well, when this comes out, yeah. it will be 30. I will. Are you shy to say that on the internet? No, I love being 30. Well, TMT is 30 tomorrow, but for you guys, it'll be yesterday. Um, All right, guys. Welcome to Two Truths and a Dirty Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Two Truths and a Dirty Lie, a podcast about facts, figures, and weird things from the past. I'm your host, Des, and I'm here with my co-host and birthday boy, TMT. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I wish you guys could see him. He is shaking his head. He does not like this attention, but I love birthdays, so yeah. let's get into it. Each week, I'll hit my co-host with three quote-unquote facts, and he has to figure out what is true and what is the dirty lie. It's your birthday, so I'm giving you a birthday present with this topic. Let's go. Cool. Is musicians. <laughs> <laughs> you like music. What do I know about music? Absolutely nothing. But you know, let's get into it. Cue the cue the music. <laughs> this week's facts. Number one. The first West African to record a jazz album was also the only black person who fought in the Polish resistance during World War Two. And He was a man who was born in Lagos. Number two, the first black woman to be featured in a feature film was also the first black woman to receive the highest civilian and military honors in France. And number three, the last holdout from World War II was a man called Mad Jack who did not surrender until 30 years after the war in 1975. What does the third one have to do with music? Mad Jack was known for entering battles while playing the bagpipe. Oh, fair enough. He was a musician. He was a, Scots- he was a Scotsman. He was a Scotsman who didn't fight with a rifle, by the way. What did he fight with? Scottish broadsword and a longbow. Okay, I know the second fact is about Josephine Baker. Yes. So that's true. Yes. Um, the Polish resistance one. I know there was a West African in the Polish resistance. It's probably Nigerian, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, was he a musician? I don't know. Um, and then the Scottish one. I've heard stories about like people who, would, after World War Two, they were stuck on islands and they just didn't believe the war was over. People tried to tell them and they just wouldn't believe. So I don't know yeah. if that's Mad Jack or if that's... Someone else. Someone else. Um, I'm going to say the lie is Matt Jack. Happy birthday. You got it right. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. So, we'll go from the top and we'll talk about Matt Jack last. Okay. So, first fact. August Agbola Brown. <laughs> Agbola. I love that name. Yes. So, August Abuela Brown was a Nigerian jazz musician and he is believed to be the only black participant of the 1944 Warsaw Uprising. He was born on the 22nd of July in Lagos in 1895 and he was a stowaway actually and he stowed away on a ship and moved to Poland when he was about 22. While he was there he became a very popular jazz musician. He was a drummer and he was very tall 
very dark and very alluring so he was he became kind of famous this was of course before the war made its way to poland so he had moved to poland in 1922 which is before the start of world war ii he married a polish woman and they had two kids one of the articles about him in the newspapers at the time was that him and his wife his polish wife used to fight and he just leave the house for a couple of days <laughs> and so one time when he did it or the last time he supposedly did it she put a missing persons ad on him everywhere and obviously this is a six feet tall nigerian man in warsaw yeah. in the 1930s so it was obvious who he was he had to go to the police station really embarrassed and be like i'm sorry we're just fighting <laughs> i'll go home but yes he was a member of the underground polish defense forces right you had the polish defensive war in 1939 when polish people were defending their country from the nazis and then also he fought in the Warsaw Uprising in 1944. Do you know that more Polish people died in the Polish uprisings than in Nagasaki? Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes, combined. That, that is insane. That's actually insane. Polish people did not actually get a lot of Allied support. They were kind of left on their own seas. Mm. So Abuela Brown was a fighter. He also had to go underground because... As I said, he's a six feet tall black man. So when Warsaw became occupied, he was working in the underground. He would be spotted from time to time sharing newspaper articles. He also apparently would have to entertain some of the Nazis as part of his band and use that to find out information. Mm. Did he speak German? German? I don't know. He spoke six languages. Yoruba, English, Polish, probably some German because of time. I imagine French are one other language. Oh, imagine French. French is always the one that goes in the sandwich. Yeah. And French is like just a big World War II language. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So his code name during the war was Ali, which mm. I think is cool. That's pretty cool. And he moved to London in his old age and uh, divorced his first Polish wife, married his second Polish wife. In London? Yeah. And he died in London in 1976. So yeah, that is August Abuela Brown. He has a commemorative, like stone thing in the wall. A statue. Not a statue. What? It's like a marble commemorative, like plaque okay. thing in his okay. memory in Warsaw. Yeah. And the poles of England society upkeep his grave and stuff like that. Right, so he fought for them too. He fought for yeah, he fought for his adoptive country and he's a Polish hero and a jazz musician. And he was yeah, so he was the first West African and Nigerian to record a jazz album. So musicians doing funky things. So that's fact number one. One fact down. Josephine Baker. So you said you knew that fact was about Josephine Baker. I didn't say her name because I figured yeah. Once I said her name, you know it's true. Yeah. So what do you know about Josephine Baker? Um, I know she was like a, what's the word for the kind of dancing she did? Burlesque? Yeah. Yeah, she did burlesque. and With the banana skirt. With the banana skirt. And she was a spy during World War II. Um, she collected a lot of <laughs> information on Nazis. 
by charming them, seducing them, and she just, you know, she do her thing. And by the end of the, and she traveled a lot. She spoke a bunch of languages. So I think it was very typical of people of that time to just, especially if you lived in Europe, to just not, like, if you spoke one language, people considered you. Well, I don't. I think it's typical of black exceptionalism. I mean, I just. I think if English is your first language, then maybe you'd speak French. Mm-hmm. But if you had another first language, like German, French, then maybe you'd speak you'd multiple. Speak other languages. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, I think there was just a period between maybe 1850 and 1950 where people just spoke multiple languages. And it, was, it wasn't like a cool thing. Yeah. You know, today most people are bilingual. Really? Yeah. That makes sense, actually. If you are in the minority if you only speak one, one language. language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, Josephine Breaker was born Frida Josephine MacDonald in East St. Louis, Missouri on June 3rd, 1906. She was born into abject poverty and she was also African American in a segregated and racist America. Thanks. She had her first marriage when she was 13 yikes yeah she married again when she was 15 to a william howard baker who then gave her the last name that she would use for the rest of her life or her professional life when she was 19 she left the racism in america and her ex-husbands and moved to france where she became as you said a burlesque dancer a singer and an actress. The first black woman to star in a motion picture um, when she was in the French film Zuzu, which she also sang in. And she's famed for her 16 banana skirt. If anyone Googles Josephine Baker, I'm sure the first image that will come up is of her in that skirt. So she was famed for being a burlesque dancer or exotic dancer at that time. She was admired by a lot of the cultural figures at the time, including Pablo Picasso, E.E. Cummings, and Ernest Hemingway. And she was called the Black Venus or the Black Pearl. So how did she become a spy? She loved her adopted country of France. She felt that they were not as racist. It wasn't segregated. She lived more freely as a black American woman in France as she had as a black American woman in America. When Hitler published Mein Kampf and she was doing European tours at this point in time, she's considered probably the highest paid performer in Europe at that time and probably the richest black woman also at that time. So she's Oprah before Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe Beyonce before Beyonce. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think Beyonce has like a tribute to her wearing that banana skirt. But anyways, back to history. She was going on tour in Europe and she was faced with protests at her arrival because she was black. And she felt like fascism was taking hold in Europe. And so she got involved with the French intelligence agency. And she was like, I hate discrimination of any kind therefore i'm going to fight for what i believe in and i'm going to fight for my adopted country france she would tape notes about german troop movements into her bra they were like girl that's really dangerous don't you want to just try and memorize it and she was like um no one is going to strip search 
me, Josephine Baker, so I'm going to be all right. And people thought she just like flirted with the German leaders or the Italian powers at the time. But no, she was an actual spy. At, at some point in time, uh, she would write German troop movements in invisible ink on her sheet music and use that to be able to smuggle it out of the country. She also used her musical tours as a way to help other intelligence agents get out or move from place to place. So they'll be a part of her entourage. She would travel with like 50 suitcases, right? But it was a ruse. She wasn't being a diva. She was using it to smuggle German troop movement out to the um, French army because the Nazis took over Paris and the French government moved into exile. So she became a very prized uh, intelligence agent. At some point in time, she went to North Africa and she would have to like sleep in her truck on the side of the road to avoid landmines and stuff like that. So she was really in the trenches. She got really, really sick when she was in North Africa. And when I say North Africa, you know, like it's not a country, but she was in like probably Morocco, Algeria and stuff like that. The French speaking parts. Yes. She got really sick to the point where they actually thought she had died. And some newspapers in America released her obituary by mistake. And they were like, oh, the Nazis have killed Josephine. Yeah. Yeah, so that is true. Josephine Baker was a shining star. And was also, after the war was over, she came back to France in her full military uniform. was paraded down Champs-Élysées. People were throwing flowers at her feet. She was given the highest civilian and military honours. She also sold her jewellery and a lot of her belongings to be able to get food and coal to the poor people because you know post-war rebuilding very expensive and a lot of people are suffering and then she was one of the only women to officially speak at the march on washington in 1963 where you have the i have a dream speech from okay yeah the mlk speech from so she is a trailblazer really i know she piled up a lot of debt in her later years but what was really interesting was the amount of people that just came out to support her. So like Princess Grace Kelly, Jacqueline Kennedy, a lot of people, Mick Jagger, <laughs> um, Diana Ross, people would just, you know, they would, they would lend her, they would offer her apartments, they would um, show up to her shows, they would just do, she, she performed right on till maybe about five to six years before she died. Uh, yeah, and people, celebrities would show up and they would support her and they would you know, donate and just do whatever they could. So I found that really interesting about her legacy and all of that. Yeah, it shows just the type of person she was also because she gave so much of herself away to other people. Mm. Actually, I didn't say this, but before the Nazis came, she had married a Jewish businessman. So she was not just a black woman, but she was a black woman in an interracial relationship with a jewish man mm. in paris right when the nazis were on the doorstep yeah and she housed french and intelligence workers in her house and using her fame you know as a cover for them and the nazis actually did show up in her house looking for people but she was obviously able to charm them and stuff like that so she put life and limb on the line yep so shout out to black icons shout out to black icons I feel like, obviously, August Abuela Brown is not someone you know of. I think more people know about Josephine Baker. 
but maybe not the extent of her dedication and her fight you know a lot of people just know of her as that iconic burlesque dancer which she was but she was so much more so now you ready for mad jack i've been waiting for this all episode this is like what i really want to get into (laughs) mad jack churchill so it is a lie that he was the last holdout um i'll tell you about mad jack and then i'll tell you about the last holdout who is hiro onoda of the japanese army yeah so mad jack churchill is considered a world war ii war hero he is a man who did not use a rifle or drive a tank. Instead, the British Army soldier wielded a Scottish broadsword. He thought a soldier is not properly dressed for battle without their sword. Um, he also sometimes wielded a longbow. As a commander, he gained notoriety for charging into battle, playing the bagpipes and throwing grenades. <laughs> And he would literally charge in in front with his bagpipes and grenades, by the way. There's actual photographic, documented (laughs) imagery of him jumping off. I love that. Jumping off the warship ahead of everyone else, playing his bagpipe with a grenade in the other hand. That was what got him the name Mad Jack. He loved battle, which I don't know if that can be said to be a good thing. But um, he... He's considered an eccentric, which I mean, if you're carrying a sword during World War II and playing bagpipes and throwing grenades, I understand why people would consider you an eccentric. But first, he fought in France, and then he fought in Norway, and then he fought in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and in Italy, he received the Distinguished Service Order because he was able to take 42 German prisoners. Like he captured a German observation post. And (laughs) the thing about this battle is like, you know, they're fighting, fighting, fighting. Things get crazy. They win. He manages to capture these 42 prisoners. He walks them back down to, you know, where the British forces are stationed. And then he goes back for his sword. (laughs) That's my joke for you. Also, like, I'm just reading about his life. It's so bizarre. He was a male model at uh, some point. Oh, guess. Do you know what he does after all the wars are over? What? He becomes a surfer in Australia. He was also an actor and and he was posh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was like some Scottish Highlander or something. Oh, no. He was even born. So he was born in British Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka. So, mm. like, his, his parents were part of the. Um, civil service yeah yeah that was an officer yeah and they were from oxfordshire yeah he went to sandhurst yes (laughs) no this is not it's not like it's not like a what do they call them like a chav yeah he wasn't (laughs) a scouser no (laughs) he was a very posh guy so this is my one of my favorite matt jack stories well it's very sad so he was part of a commando unit and during the shelling of his unit the mortar shells killed or wounded every single person except for Mad Jack Churchill who was playing will ye no come back again on his pipes as the Germans advanced he was knocked unconscious by grenades and captured 
believing that he might be related to Winston Churchill, which he wasn't. Matt Jack was not related to Winston, but they have the same last name. And the Germans were like, mm, suspicious. So they took Matt Jack and the SS captured him as a prominent POW. He was captured by the German Secret Service. And uh, guess who helped free him? Who? A German army unit. Why? I don't. I just don't know the type of. But we we spoke about this in our first ever episode. How the German army versus the SS was sometimes a thing. Yeah. I truly probably have to sit down one day and just go through that history to just try and understand. But they got word that the SS might try to kill these prominent POWs. So the German army unit, commanded by a captain, Richard von Alvinspleen. Moved to protect the prisoners and outnumbered the SS who released the prisoners to the German army. By the way, when he was released, he was like, thanks guys, I'm going to go back into battle now. (laughs) And walked 93 miles to Verona, Italy. He walked. It's three miles is a long long walk. 150 kilometers. Yeah. He walked until he saw Americans and he was like, yo, I need a sword and put me back in, Captain. <laughs> like, what? So, yeah, that is Mad Jack. He was, I think he earned the moniker of Mad Jack. You know, he even went into British Palestine, as yeah. they called it, after the war, because he wasn't done fighting. Um, quick note um, Wicked von Alvinsen. Who the guy who you know led the German soldiers who freed you know the prisoners and, yeah. f- and fought them? Yeah, he is. He he became. He was an agriculturist, yeah. and he got knighted. You know the Order of Saint John, and he was a member of the aristocratic house of Alvinstein, <laughs> one of the oldest houses in Germany. So this is just put two posh dudes helping each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean one significantly posher than the other but yeah i mean he was just for me it's just something to note um i think the main reason he would have probably fought for them to not have been executed was the fact that he was deeply religious Mm. so he was he was a deeply religious christian and i think that's also why he was knighted by the order of saint john what's the order of saint john it's one of these um catholic jesuits german I don't know how you call them. Like, I see. Yeah. Um, so it's a religious order. It's a religious order. Yeah. I it's see. you know how you have the Knights Templar. So you have the Knights Hopstal. Like, I, I can't. I can't pronounce it. It's a German um, order. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my Jack Churchill lived to the ripe old age of eighty-nine. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he died in nineteen ninety-six in Surrey. So that is my Jack. Do you know who my Jack reminds me of? Who? Actually, our next episode should be. There's this dude who refused to die. <laughs> yeah, also Mad Jack lived till he was eighty nine. Yes. Which is insane. Yes. For someone who lived the way he did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Also like he's not the only eccentric that was in the British Army. There was a guy who's known for carrying an umbrella into battle. Okay. We'll get into that 
Is, is that who you want to? Is that who he reminds you of? No. This is just someone else entirely. It's just someone else entirely. I feel like the. I feel like armies also in that time they just had a bunch of eccentric people that kind of raised morale. So people are hearing all these rumors. Did you hear about like this one guy in the f- fifth unit yeah. called Mad Jack? <laughs> Fourth battalion. This guy is walking around with a broadsword. Mad Jack's the younger brother also fought, and he was known as the Buster. Oh God! <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it was called Buster. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in times of war, things are crazy. Yeah. It's like, uh, um, I will not tell you about who Mad Jack reminds me of, but next week you will know. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. Onoda for 29 years after the war ended Kira Onoda a Japanese soldier stationed in the jungles of the Philippines did not believe that the war was over because he was taught that Japan does not surrender and does not give up and that no matter what he should not surrender and he should not give up yeah now, like I say, Hiro Noda's story is very interesting. So there is someone who's considered like the last official official holdout. Um, the guy was also held out for twenty nine years. Um, they both held out into until nineteen seventy four. But the thing about Hiro Onoda that it's different from this other man is that Hiro Onoda was continuously waging guerrilla warfare where he was like against the locals he was he was a terrorist for them he was just a terrorist terrorizing them he used to actually kill locals he thought he was at war and okay so this is and how the locals are Filipinos yeah so the locals were Filipinos and obviously Filipinos have had to deal with the colonial powers of Japan and America and the Spanish so they've had to deal with different types of invading forces for a long, long time, right? Yeah, so he was in Lubang, which is a tiny island in the Philippines. And his original task was to destroy a pier and destroy the landing strip so that uh, American forces would not be able to land. He failed his original task. And then him and his platoon retreated into the jungle and began guerrilla warfare, what they were trained, right? And the Japanese government actually declared him dead in 1959, because, like, they didn't know that he was still there. But word started to spread that there was some crazy Japanese soldier just fighting the people of Lubang. And um, he wrote a memoir about it. It's called No Surrender. My 30-year war. And he said that the number one thing that stuck with him during guerrilla combat training at uh, the Nakano Military School, which is where he went to school, was that under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. And under no circumstances are you supposed to give up. So this is one of those characters. So when he was discovered in 1974... He was discovered by a Japanese traveler who had heard of him and wanted to see what could convince this man that the war was actually over. He struck a deal with Hiro and he came back with Hiro's original commanding officer who then 
convinced him that the war was over because other Japanese people had actually gone to Lubang to be like dude the war is over and he thought they were Japanese prisoners and they were not doing it voluntarily like he just would not believe anything they dropped flyers on the island after the war was over and he thought it was American propaganda <laughs> he said him and his comrade Kinchinsiki Kozuka Kinchinsiki Kozuka I think a lot of Japanese names sound Ibo Edu a lot of them sound I mean language sounds Yoruba to me yeah okay you see can you see yeah. <laughs> a lot of Japanese names sound Nigerian yeah uh, mm. anyway so, Japanese people don't like Nigerian so uh, nobody likes us yeah fair enough that's true <laughs> Um, so he said about all these attempts to reach him and his comrades. So he had a comrade who actually survived for a long time. Over 15, there's like 15 years after the war has ended, his comrade is still alive. He said, we had developed so many fixed ideas that we were unable to understand anything that did not conform to them. That speaks to a lot today. It does. We have developed so many fixed ideas that we are unable to understand anything that does not conform to them. In a world of fake news and uh, conspiracies and everything being seen in the view of propaganda. My favorite about um, Onada is that when he was eventually relieved of his duty, yeah. He turned over his sword, functioning Arisaka type 99 rifle, yeah. 500 rounds of ammunition, <laughs> several hand grenades, as well as a dagger his mother had given him in 1944 to kill himself if he was captured. Wow. Yeah. Well, he didn't kill himself, he killed 30 Filipinos yeah. instead. Pretty much. Also, when he returned to. Japan in 1974, he was given a hero's welcome. The president of the Philippines pardoned him, pardoned him of all the crimes he committed while he was at Lubang. There was a documentary on him. If there was a Philippine documentary, so there's there's actually two documentaries and one movie. A movie that came out in the Cannes Film Festival last okay. year. Nice. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of interest into yeah. Hiro Noda because when he comes back to Japan, he's lost 30 years, sort of. So he's distraught by what he thought were the loss of Japanese ideals and traditions. Because now imagine when he leaves Japan, Japan is like a super power, right? They're like a world power. They are essentially like colonial. They're a colonial power. Yeah. And they're going into war on a strong footing. He comes back and... There's been two bombs dropped, two atomic bombs dropped on Japan. Japan is facing the worst economic, like the two years before he comes, like the worst economic showing yeah. in memory. They're like a weakened nation. So the Japan he leaves and the Japan he comes back to, the Japan he believes he's been fighting for for the last 30 years of his life does not exist. So he becomes this sort of like conservative figure and he just can't deal with it. So then he moves to the jungles of Brazil and starts raising cattle. As one does. As one does. Just good therapy, my guy. I don't understand things. But honestly, for me, that just also shows me how... I mean, sometimes go to therapy, but sometimes also just move to the Amazon rainforest. Like, if that's what you need, do it. The world is so big. I feel like sometimes we're so stuck in our lives 
our life has to be one way. We have to live in Lagos. We have to face the traffic. We have to marry and have kids. You have to follow this timeline. And sometimes you just have to be like, no. Sometimes you just want to go into battle with a bagpipe when your mates are carrying rifles. And sometimes you just want to move to Brazil and raise cattle. Or sometimes you just want to be August Agola Brown, who <laughs> was... No, look, he was literally born in Lagos, on the streets of Lagos, stirs away and becomes a Polish war hero and a pioneer jazz musician. Josephine Baker, who's the the first black woman to star in a a major blockbuster movie, could not have done that if she stayed in America. Mm. She could not have done that if she stayed in Missouri or if she stayed married to the guy she met when she was 15. Or if she judged herself by what society told her she was or what other people told her her restrictions were. Yeah. Every single person we've spoken about today has just lived life on their own terms. Fair enough, some of them <laughs> very strange ways, but yeah. a lot of them just like defining themselves by themselves and also allowing that defi- you know, that definition to shift. Josephine didn't leave America a singer. She left a dancer. She didn't sing for the first time professionally until well into to her career as a dancer so yeah happy birthday Tim Tyre thank you I've hit you with uh, some pioneering musicians and and some pioneering serial killer are you allowed to call a soldier a serial killer yeah I mean if they tell you the war is over and keep fighting if you truly don't believe because he's not the only one he is the only one who is literally waging war on people around him. The rest of them found a way to live with yeah. the people who were around them. Yeah. He was just like... Serial killing. Serial killing. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Okay, fair. You can't call... Yeah, I, I think you call him that. I will I will give allowance to that one. <laughs> but um, enjoy TMT's 30. And thank you to everyone for listening to our podcast this week. You can... Tell Tim Tyre happy birthday at TMT's Clutch on Twitter. I hope he doesn't remove this. <laughs> I but will. You can, you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, share, leave a comment. We appreciate you so much. And it helps us survive as a podcast. It goes a long, long way. Thank you. So we are at the Dirty Live Podcast on Instagram and at the Dirty Live Podcast on Twitter. This has been Two Truths and a Dirty Lie from Dez. TMT. Have a lovely week. Bye guys.